Welcome to the Zaga Center's podcast. This podcast aims at providing education, knowledge, and experience focusing on zygomatic implant rehabilitation. Learn more about the treatment procedure, its impact on each patient, and get to know the members of the Zaga Network. Welcome back to the Zaga Center's podcast. Uh, today we continue our U.S. tour, our tour of the American Zaga Centers. We're traveling to New York City, uh, meeting with uh, Dr. Jane O'Garton, uh, a very special member of ours. He's a certified Zaga Center exclusive in New York. He's a mentor, and we are co-organizing a Zaga course next September in New York with him. Uh, Dr. O'Garton, it's an honor to have you on the podcast today. Uh, I know many people know you already, but please, could you introduce yourself, uh, you know, your background, what you are doing now, your activity, uh, please go forward. Thank you, David. It is truly a pleasure to spend this time with you and uh, the Zaga Center uh, groups. I'm Jay Newgarten. I am an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Uh, limit myself to oral and maxillofacial surgeon. I practice in Manhattan, New York. I'm part of a group. Uh, we are a uh, oral maxillofacial surgery group that really focuses on tertiary care uh, in the private practice setting. So our area of expertise would be implant reconstruction from single implants to quad zygomatic implants, whether it's for ablative or for uh, conventional taking care of patients who need routine care, to orthognathic surgery, TMJ surgery, neonatal distraction, but really, I would say the multidisciplinary patient is where my, my happy place is, where taking care of a patient who is destitute, has nothing, and to give them the opportunity and the hope to rehab their life and to really enjoy the, the spice of life, if you would, because it really begins in the mouth, where we begin to chew and talk and have self-confidence. So it is truly a pleasure to spend this time with you to be able to talk about uh, zygoma implants. Well, they say that mouth is the reflection of the body, right? So a good uh, oral health is probably a key to a good uh, overall health. So you mentioned that uh, you like to help patients, especially the ones with the last resort opportunity to get uh, fixed teeth again. So my question to you to start with the topic of zygomatic implants would be as simple as why did you choose to learn, practice, become an expert in zygomatic implants in the first place? Okay, this is, well, this is a, you hit it right on in, a, in an area of major passion for me and love. Um, I've been using zygoma implants for well over 20 years now, but my, my journey was an evolution and, and clearly not a revolution that progressed to where we are in 2022. Um, I, when I was through going through my residency and training, you know, this was back in the late 1990s early 2000s, the zygoma implants came to the United States of America in 1997. <clears throat> it was P.I. and Carlos and their vision, P.R. Brandemark and Carlos Aparicio, in 1987 that it really got put on, on the map where, you know, no P.I.'s Brandemark vision was no one should die with a denture in a cup at night. And it was through that 10-year um, expedition, if you would, that the zygoma implants really began to evolve into a treatment solution. It will, I was through my training in the late 1990s, and we were just starting to get involved as a concept, but it was seen as a sci-fi. It was seen as something that was out there that was really 
<clears throat> more of a, a, a last resort, and we were just gaining traction through this. I finished my residency in 01, and at that point for me, it was about grafting. And we took these patients who had no hope, destitute, looking for an opportunity to get rid of their dentures and have rehabilitative surgery. And we were, I was grafting from whether it was the tibia or from the hip, depending upon the need. <clears throat> and from 2001 to around 2007, my career of uh, implant dentistry and taking care of the edentulous patient was really focused on grafting. And we would go through an initial bone graft, soft tissue grafting. Um, we were needed to get the, the prosthesis off the bone to prevent resorption and, and a lot of that which occurred. And we were using immediate provisional implants and we, got, we, we were able to really take care of a lot of patients and well. But it was a fair amount of surgery. And I started to look for other options. Are there solutions that we can take patients? Because one of the things that, that I talk about is, look, these patients did not get there because they love going to the dentist. Going to the dentist is an anxiety-provoking event. It is, it is not pleasurable. And some of our treatment plans are, are lengthy. And we started to come up with options for patients that were less lengthy, less surgery, more cost effective, which means it's more affordable. And if we get more affordable, what are our barriers to care? Well, the barriers to care are really focused on two areas. Well, really probably three. One, knowledge of the procedure, that it's access to care. Two, fear of having lengthy, long surgeries. And number three, cost. And if we can break these barriers down, we can do what we love or what I love to do, which is change people's lives, take care of people, and treat more people. So it was around 1997, I'm sorry, yeah, 1990, I'm sorry, it was around 2007, 01 to 2007, there was a lot of grafting, and then around 2007 was really where I started to think of other options. The zygoma implant was one that I had kind of used in 01 on ablative cancer surgery patients, but then I started to see if this is more of a solution that could be more front line. And through 07, 08, 09, and then through 2010, and through the, the, that whole next decade, my zygoma implants really began to fortify a solution for me because we were getting very, very high success rates with really minimal downtime, less invasive surgery, in my opinion, because you're going through less frequent of them, even though we're going up to the zygoma minimal pain, and it was really beginning to open my eyes. So if you were to create a graph of my career and looking at grafting, the grafting number of patients that I grafted went down, whereas the zygoma implants began to really climb. And, you know, I don't look as grafting as being, uh, you know, the baby in the corner. Or this It's not that. I do graft patients. Patients are given the option of grafting versus non-grafting. And I give them my career, which is basically you have these two options. And it's ultimately their decision of which way they want to go. But I think once we hear the grafting, which is using either a bone from them or off-the-shelf bone, multiple surgeries, implants, and then soft tissue grafting, and then ultimately a prosthesis, whether we load it or delayed load it, versus a zygoma solution, which is one which is in one surgery, and the results 
that we're getting are high 90%. We produced a clear paper and we're about to produce our second one showing efficacy of 98% on our zygoma solutions. And when we look at these numbers in medicine, in surgery, in dentistry, at 98%, that is a solution that is in any area we would, we would grab onto and take. So the zygoma solution to me through an evolutionary process has really fortified treatment solutions for patients, really providing high quality care, affordable and access to a lot more people than we ever did before. So in, in that um, for, for almost a 30 years journey uh, of yours with zygomatic implants, when did you uh, come to know or discover the Zaga concept? So it came from, from, from Carlos Aparicio, but w when did you actually, uh, you know, perform your first surgery and think, I will, I will go for that approach, I will follow this uh, protocol or way of treating the, the patient, approaching the treatment? How did that come to you? Yeah, so I've kind of spanned the gamut with this. I mean, I, again, looking back, 07, when I started doing Zygoma Solutions con um, um, consistently, prior to 07, I was doing them, but it was not as consistent with that. It was more, I mean, I, I didn't really have the opportunity of taking a course, which is what we're opportunity now and giving back and teaching. We were part of a, a, a group of uh, core surgeons who were developing these protocols and putting these together early on. And I, in 07, was really following the traditional approaches. But one thing that, that really drove me crazy, I'm very prosthetically driven. For me, it's all about the restorative dentist and getting the teeth in the tooth, getting the implant in the tooth alveolar envelope within the proper conformality of the prosthesis. And the original protocols of those patients that were severely atrophic kind of left us short. And what I mean by that is it drove the, they drove the implant into the palate. And with that, there was hygiene, there was articulation and speech challenges. I did not like that. And I started to early in my career, move them out to the alveolars. <clears throat> so it became what I would call either um, <clears throat> intramaxillary, partial maxillary, or extramaxillary approaches, because that was what we had kind of looked for to get it where it needed to be. But there were challenges with that. We had soft tissue retractions. We had a fair amount of exposed implants. And the implant designs, when I first started using this, were threaded all the way to the top. And it was, when we looked at this, we said there's got to be a better way. So the, the, the design was one that, this was only implant I had, so it really did not have uh, uh, many uh, options. And we created protocols, we created workflows, we created systems using traditional zygoma principles in 2007, 2010, 2015. But we started to see the effects of some of these early on based upon the design and based upon the workflow. It was in the late 20, around 2020, 2019, where Carlos, through his vision, through his ideology, had developed this implant, and then really this implant really, really springboarded. I mean, it gave me everything that I needed to be able to overcome a lot of the challenges that I saw as a result of the workflow, as a po as a as a, a, a along with the implant design that were there, so this, this implant now gets in my hands in 2021 when it becomes released, 
And the ability to now, it really checks the boxes. For me, from a design perspective, with the flat side, with it's not being threaded, with the thin apices, really robust um, integration and primary stability. But along with that, it had a lot of prosthetic options for me. Early on, limited prosthetic options, two multi-units and one angulated multi-unit abutment. That was it. But um, not all patients fit into that. Now, with the, with the um, variability that I have on the multi-unit abutment level, with the variability that I have on implant lengths, I mean, we have implant lengths that we didn't have before. And having a round and having a flatty, it really allows me to, in my career at this point, I know what I wanted to get to, but I couldn't get there because the armamentarium challenged me. With the with this new Zaga, with this new zygomatic implant, and following the Zaga concepts of surgical placement, it is a synergy that is not one plus one. It is logarithmic. It has changed so much for me. Soft tissue, anatomy, design of the implant, patient selection, who I can manage. It gives me greater access to patients, less swelling, less comorbidities. Uh, and really less soft tissue retractions that we ever saw before. So it, it's it's really powerful for what I can do. And that transformation, David, and what I'm trying to get to kind of occurred, again, and, and I've said this now three times, this was an evolution for me because I lived through the challenges of where we were in the 1990s and the 2000s. And as we go into the 2020s and we have this new design from Carlos and we have this workflow which is so elegant, it is only really allows us to take care of these patients in a highly complementary, a highly effective, and solutions that are really long-term sustainable. Yeah, I think that's a, a key aspect from the, the patient perspective. How long does it last? How painful it is? Um, complications. Patients want teeth and they don't want any complications three years down the line. And um, so that takes me away to my, to my next uh, question for you uh, related to the patient experience in your clinic. Uh, let's imagine a patient that already comes in with the diagnostics, so no teeth, no bone, very thin uh, upper maxillary bone indicated for zygoma. Uh, what is their journey through your clinic? Where do they start? Where do they end? What do they go through? Yeah, so, you know, the, the patients that we take care of, so, you know, who are the patients that we take care of, right? So, like you said, David, those, those that are destitute. But in our hands, the Zygoma solution is no longer a back-end, final, no-other-option solution for, for us. It is a front-line solution that is seen as a very um, uh, highly successful solution for patients that if they need grafting, they're given the option, not everyone gets grafted, and then if you fail grafting, you go into zygomas. It, it, it is a first-line solution, which has kind of transcended a lot of the trends that have been within the zygoma community because it was always seen as a late-resort bailout solution. But here in 2022, it is now a front-line. So when a patient calls the office, they are met with, the front staff, they are, we try to do some screenings and what their needs are at the beginning. When they come into the office, they are seen by my records team where they will have photos, extra oral, intraoral photos, 
they will have a three-dimensional x-ray called a cone beam CT, which will allow us to see the zygomas in the whole maxillofacial space. We will do an iOS or a digital scan of their prosthesis, an extensive history, and they'll spend a lot of time with me kind of getting an understanding of what their needs are. We, me, I am incredibly prosthetically driven as a primary oral maxillofacial surgeon, so I work closely and collaborate with a restorative dentist. Um, we have many restorative dentists that we work with. If they want to work with their existing dentist, I play well in the sandbox with anybody, so we can help support their existing dental community if they want to stay with that. Or we can have them with one of our restorative dentists, depending on where they live, where their needs, and we will overcome all these barriers. And we take care of patients from, from Alaska to South America to Europe to in the middle of New York. We really, we will do whatever it takes to support the needs. And it's not easy. It is very anxiety provoking. And I give these patients a lot of uh, credit because here they are, they've been kind of in fear that's what led them to this. And to spend a lot of time coming over that fear is where my, my area focuses. I know what I need to do with surgery. I mean, we've been doing this now for a long time, very patient-specific. But I find a lot of it is talking about the process, talking about the post-operative recovery, and getting them comfortable. And we show them other patients to be able to give them other patients. They can talk to other patients because it's one thing to get it from me. But when you have a support group of another patient who have undergone zygomatic implants to be able to talk to and reach out and reach across the aisle and hear from these people, it gives so much more value, if you would, for a patient to hear from someone else. So then, after that first appointment, I will reach touch base with the restorative dentist and we fortify a plan because very 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 restorative driven as i like to tell patients the most important thing and the only thing that they're going to see is the teeth they don't see the zygoma implants and what's the most important thing to them the teeth right because what's under the hood you see the car but you don't know the engine that's under the hood right and most they're never and they shouldn't they will know but you should never be able to understand what happened when you look at a patient you can't see if it's a traditional implant that's you know X millimeters long, or a zyga implant that's a zygoma implant that's two X, right? A zygoma implant is just a traditional implant, just a little bit longer, and it's what I call going into the second floor, which I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a minute. But the so that's the first visit. Meet with the restorative dentist, whether it's by phone or Zoom, and then my second visit with the patient can be directly with them. Or one of the things that this world has shown us now is the ability to be video conferencing and telemedicine. We will do a Zoom appointment with them. Many patients, my first interaction with them is Zoom. If we see someone from Midwest, South, you know, Southern US, Europe, or South America, or, or wherever, or Asia, wherever they're coming from, I can do all of my appointments with them by telemedicine. We get the data, I tell them what we need, we get the data, I Zoom with them. We Zoom with the restorative dentist. And the first time that I will often see them is for their surgery. We have that ability. We will set up hotels. we very customer service oriented. We want to remove all barriers for our patients to make this as comfortable, less anxious, 
And as we don't, we don't want any of those barriers to prevent our patients from having this kind of care. I think that's uh, that's a key point. We had a few uh, a podcast episodes mentioning empathy towards the patient. That is, I think, uh, one of the essential aspects that you're describing now. How to deal with the fear of the patient that had multiple failed implants, maybe block grafting failures. Uh, they don't want to come see you, but they want teeth. So how do you deal with that? And um, once they've gone through the treatment uh, with your team, with you, the surgery, they get the professional prosthesis, how does that implant, uh, that treatment option impact their quality of life? We, you mentioned in the beginning that uh, something like 15 to 20 years ago, you had problem with prosthesis. You would have uh, speech issues. You would have a problem to clean the prosthesis. So the quality of life of the patient was not as high as it is today. Uh, what is the quality of life of a patient that has undergone zygomatic implant surgery today? Yeah, so I think empathy is a key word across this, right? Because these people have been on some level given no hope, despair. Um, I see patients who have seen multiple surgeons given no hope, or they've been through multiple failures, as you've said. And that's where the education of the patient, they're going to say, look, I've had three or four rounds of implants placed and they all failed. Why is this different? And the zygoma bone itself is very different from the maxilla. Two different bones, two different functional aspects. The maxilla, which is where we put traditional dental implants, holds teeth. And that can undergo atrophy and demise and bone loss. If you think of the aging face, Think of someone who's 95, 100, 105 years, and we should live so long, that has no teeth. The most prominent portion of the face is the cheekbones, is the zygoma. That area does not undergo atrophy like the maxilla. So one of the biggest questions that I often get is, why is this different from traditional implants? And it's different because it's a different bone different biology, different aspect. The maxilla or the upper jaw where our teeth are is undergoes atrophy and bone loss. And the definition of insanity for me is when you do the thing, same thing over and over again and you expect a different outcome, right? And that's why the zygoma bypassing the maxilla, getting up into the zygoma is so powerful in the zygoma concept, in the zaga concept, to be able to, to support these patients. So what would the experience be like? The after experience is the patients go home on Tylenol, Advil, they on some sinus medications, they might be on some Sudafed, Afrin Flonase. They're will prescribe a very low level narcotic. They're not prescribed oxycodone, Vicodin, or Percocet. Those meds are not needed for this procedure, and most don't want it. They're like, I don't even want that stuff. They'll be, might be, they'll be swollen, bruised, maybe for a week. That We really spend a lot of time with them talking about hygiene and quality of life and diet. They're really on a mush, soft, non-chew diet for a period of time. It's what I call spoon to swallow. Um, they go home. They rest. The procedure is done in my clinic where the restorative dentist comes to the office. They are not in my office and then sent down the block or in an Uber or in a taxi or in a subway to someone else's office. This is one 
one center, one Zaga environment, one Zaga family, where they come in and this is done under sedation with my anesthesiologist to remove all the anxiety and all the fears and that Again, how far we take the anesthetic is very individualized to the patient. Some want to be awake for the conversion where the teeth are connected onto the implants. Some are like, no, I want to be awake. Again, depending upon their needs, depending upon the budget, depending upon their wants, it's very individualized for that patient. So in that, uh, in that workflow, when do they first get to see themselves in a mirror with their new teeth? Okay, so... Their teeth are designed beforehand, and some restorative dentists do it very digitally, and some will do it very analog, depending upon who they work with. But they're involved in that decision process. We want them into, and some will say, Doc, I don't want to be involved, just do it. Some want to be involved. And again, I think it is very individualized to the patient's needs and what they want. They can see it beforehand. Some want to know what their provisional, because there's really two sets of teeth. That which is delivered the day of surgery, which we call a provisional, and it is screwed into the implants. It is not taken in and out. The palate is clear. We make it as thin, as small as we can, but it is made out of acrylic, so it needs to have some thickness to it for overall stability so that it doesn't break. So that's the initial set. That's the, and they will see it beforehand if they want to with the restorative dentist. Not with me, because I'm one of the surgeon. I work on everything below the gum. And the restorative dentist will work on everything above the gum tissue. So they can see it beforehand, be involved, and see it. And then the surgery is done. When they will first see it in their mouth is when the restorative dentist screws it in We take a mirror and we show it to them and then they see their, their, their smile, their teeth is back. And it is just one of the most exciting, giving things that I can do for these patients to take them from a destitute despair of no hope. And many patients, they won't even smile. They won't even go out. And now all of a sudden they have it and you feel like, I feel like they're reborn again. And I think that they are energized, self-confident Uh, and, you know, we get one chance at this thing called life. And to give people their life back is what I do and why I do this every day. And really gives me the greatest amount of give back that I can do every single day. Can you think of one patient that got to your heart and mind while receiving the provision and prosthesis? Oof. Only one. Oof, one. <laughs> oh, that's that. I feel. I feel like I'm like. I feel like I'm shaming my others. No. Um. This, yes, I can. Um. There was a, a woman who was a police officer, and she was in her 40s, and she had had orthognathic surgery early on by someone else, um, and was a what had a failing upper and lower teeth, more so from genetics. She was one who went to the dentist, but she had been caries and had thin tissue and thin biotype and was really given no hope. And this was an amazing woman. And she ended up having both her upper and her lower jaw done, which is something that we do as well, where we can do that all in one day and do a, a dual arch reconstruction with zygomas in the maxilla, upper jaw and conventional implants in the lower. But She was really 
left for destitute. I mean, she wouldn't leave. She was very uh, self-conscious of her teeth, um, relationships that had affected her. And we took care of her last year. And we have a video of her that we took. And it was we, with my whole office. We were crying. I mean, it was just her story was so compelling it changed her life. It gave her a revibrance in life. That's one. That That's one. that. I, but I have to bring up a second one. Because people will say, well, what about my age? How old do I? What is my criteria? We, I, uh, last year, took care of a 90-year-old woman. 90-year-old woman. And you would say, well, why? Like, and, and this was driven by her. This is a woman by the name of Peggy. And Peggy was very vibrant, and she was looking for an opportunity. She said, look, I want to be able to chew steak, bite into an apple, have a life, and go for it. And we took care of her at 90 years old. So this solution is not age-exclusive. It is transcends age from a 40-year-old to a 90-year-old. But again, we have to come at it very academically, very, very, very team-based with our restorative community, our medical community, because some of these patients have medical comorbidities that we need to navigate through. We do it in the office. Sometimes I need to do it in the hospital because of anesthetic challenges that I can't overcome. So we do, the woman that was 90, I ended up taking care of her in the hospital. And we ended up giving her teeth and we moved the whole ensemble from my office into the hospital where we did it and we took care of her and Peggy is eating apples and pizza and you know she is having her life back at 90 years old which is just an amazing give back opportunity for me and for me to be a part of the Zaga group and the Saga family has just given me such opportunity to take care of these patients on the highest level. So Peggy is probably looking uh, 75 years old now with a new teeth right? <laughs> <laughs> oh she is she's, she's in better shape than all of us. <laughs> Okay, I'd like to uh, leverage your experience and uh, these almost 30 years of experience with zygomatic implant and ask a tricky question to you because I know you like them. What advice would you give to your younger self about zygomatic implants? When you first started with zygomatic implants, what yeah. advice would you like to receive from yourself today in 2022? Great question. Fabulous. So one of the, besides taking care of patients, One of the big things for me is education and mentorship. And what Carlos and you have put together is a fast-tracked opportunity of having surgeons obtain mentorship. I didn't have this. When I went through this in my 30 years, I went through this journey. You're, you can learn from mentors who have made the mistakes. I've made them. And I want nothing more than to educate the next generation of clinicians and tell them what we have done. It's not reinventing the wheel or you can, you know, you'll get there, but it's going to take a little bit longer. But if you get involved with a mentor or someone, and it's more than just a weekend course, you know, spending time with a, on a weekend course and taking somewhere here or there or anywhere, it does not provide proficiency because it is much bigger than that. It is diagnosis, treatment planning, and the biggest aspect is managing complications. There will be, there will be managing these complications, and it is team-based environment. You know, the zygoma implant is, is, is in a, you're now extra maxillary. You're now in a more involved, you need to get to someone who is very skilled, very competent, 
very comfortable in this environment. And my my guidance, my my thought to the people who want to get involved is mentorship, mentorship, mentorship. Take courses, really get knowledge and learn from people who have created an ecosystem that you want to be. And it might not every mentor you might not align with, but you find with someone who has the same core values, same vision as you, and work with them. And you know, I'm a mentor. I would like nothing more than to mentor and passing along what I have done. The doors are open for people to come and watch surgery. We, uh, with the Zaga Center and David, are putting on a course in, in September. And it's going to be an amazing three days with even a live surgery component that's going to wrap up at the end for that to give people, you know, it's one thing to see it in a, in, 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 um, in a lecture hall and room, but when you see the team and you see the workflow and you see that, you know, when, when the surgeons and the restorative dentists, I understand this and you can see the workflow. Visual courses is really how I see, because you want to make that curve, that learning curve as steep as you can not long and flat. You want to make it vertical. And the way to get that vertical learning curve is mentorship and getting involved through what David, you put together for this mentorship program. I can't speak highly enough about it <clears throat> and the people who are involved in it. I think I, think, um, I have to share the information about the mentoring program because uh, you mentioned that the advice to your younger self would be to get mentoring. So now we have indeed created the opportunity for younger or not that young surgeon willing to learn or wanting to learn about zygomatic implants to have this mentoring, this very steep learning curve, as, as you mentioned, that I think is a great metaphor for this. Uh, get the experience from where it is. Uh, mentors, experienced surgeons that, as you mentioned again, did all the mistakes so you don't have to do them. You will do new ones eventually and you will share later on with others. But that's one of the things. So we have set up in the family of Zaga centers 10 mentors where you can get Mentoring. Dr. Nelgatan is obviously one of them. So you can go to New York, uh, spectate the surgery, get all the explanations from him, briefing before, debriefing after, what went good, what went excellent, what went wrong, because this also has to be discussed and actually learn a lot from him. So I think uh, that's a, one of the very important aspects to learn quick. And, and the second one, and you mentioned it already, is educational courses. And there we set up courses, but any zygomatic implant courses is, is great to learn. Like get all the different visions, all the different techniques, be your own judge. Like what do you want to perform? What will have your patients satisfied and happy with few complications? And in that uh, mindset, uh, we are setting up a course together in New York uh, from 21st to 23rd of September. This is for specialists only. This is for zygomatic implants. We'll have three days of learning with Dr. Aparicio and yourself, uh, with the whole team. I can dream of a better, most premium-centric location in New York. It's going to be amazing. And uh, after this course, we'll have a live surgery where four very lucky surgeons will be able to register and actually be there in, in the first row of seats and be there over your shoulder and actually see how it goes. So I think... Uh, I think you're excited about it, but we are way more excited than you are. <laughs> That's very important. Uh, so we have all the information on our, on our website, but I think to us it's uh, more about setting up a course in a premium location with two amazing speakers and actually provide the best learning experience as we can. So 
as, as, as Dr. Aparicio would say, the, the, the point is not to teach you how, it's to teach you, teach you how, to, but to teach you why. So we want every participant to leave and understand the rationale behind every little detail and every large step of the protocol. And I think uh, the extra surgery day is critical for this. Seeing a full protocol, a team that is working well together in action, this is, this is really amazing. This is amazing value. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this at the in September. The opportunity for Carlos and I to really educate the next uh, generation, or even our generation, who want to get involved. I, I think that you know anyone who, the, the Zygoma solution is really taking traction, especially as we're seeing you know more and more failures of the all on X that has been done for years. And you know, as a clinician, you have to decide. What you're going to do? Are you going to rehabilitate an area that is not so great and somewhat compromised? Um, and having the opportunity of being with Carlos and myself, learning where we've kind of and our journey. And and I consider this a journey. And and again, it, it was an evolution for me, not a revolution. And I, my evolution and my going through the transcending of these years and going through patient after patient after patient and looking at what we did is what I look forward to, um, you know, passing on to the, 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 the uh, attendees that come. And as you said, David, to see the workflow. I mean, what, we, uh, what we're going to put on here, I feel, will be one-of-a-kind meeting where we're going to now do a three-day didactic. And then, as you said, four people with an opportunity to stand by Carlos and I and see the whole workflow of the team of how we set up, what we do, where we stand, how we approach from anesthetic to restorative to surgical to auxiliaries and every aspect of it, it will really allow people to impact their practice and to stimulate you to be able to have another solution, another tool in your toolbox to come back to your offices and implement systems and workflow and, and continue to grow that aspect of your uh, a practice. Okay, so I'm looking forward for uh, the Zaga course co-organized with you in in, uh, in September in New York. Uh, I think this is going to be amazing. But I'm also quite uh, excited to get to my next question, which is a question that we share with all speakers. Uh, and it's going to be very hard for you, I think, to answer this one, because we have to leave dentistry aside. We have to leave surgery aside. <laughs> we don't talk about this. We don't talk about patient. What is your passion? What is your ho hobby when you're not into dentistry, what do you do? Oof, so that's that's a great question. And I, that's a multi, I don't know if there's one passion, but I would say it starts with my family. Uh, my wife, my three kids, um, really try to spend as much time with them as I can um, because the, the surgical world, the dentistry world does, is very demanding time-wise on me. So when I can spend time with the family is, uh, and do traveling, we are big skiers, love skiing all over uh, in the wintertime. Um, summertime is typically, you know, outside, um, whether it's fishing, whether it's walking, going for hikes. Um, but my family is really the center for me and critical. Um, you know, it's really the basis for me, three beautiful girls that are growing up between their twenties and teenagers now. Um, and 
we, you know, and my wife, we try to do as much with them as we can, uh, whether it's traveling, um, whether it's seeing our extended family and our parents, siblings, um, is really my passion outside of that. Um, I'm not a golfer. I would say my biggest thing is my, you know, for me, it's about the highs and the lows, whether it's skiing and I'm also a scuba diver, which my, my family is certified. So we do family scuba diving as, 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 a, as a group um, and skiing. Uh, those are, uh, and also my, my kids are, I get a lot of passion and out of watching my, my kids play travel soccer um, and really spending as much time with them as possible. I think it's important to, to ground us and to come back home and uh, spend as much time with our family as we can. So my passion outside of dentistry is my family, which really then centers around skiing, scuba diving, and travel with them. Well, I hope we get to ski or scuba diving being in New York. I don't know which is more complicated than the other. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but I'll, I'll ask around when we can do that. Okay, thank you, uh, Dr. Delgarten, for... Uh, taking the time that you don't have to be with us uh, between the surgeries, your family and all the travels. I know it's uh, very hard to reach you. Uh, it's very hard to put a hand on you. Uh, one of the reasons, I suppose, is because your family and your patients come first, which is, I think, very healthy. And um, thank you for sharing your experience, uh, advice, um, your story about zygomatic implants. And uh, the only thing I can look forward to now is to set up that course in New York that is going to be an amazing event, uh, really a landmark course for specialists in, in, the, in the US and, and anyone from any country can join the course actually and, and learn about zygomatic implants, get a, a glimpse of experience, uh, that um, story, mixed story of Carlos and yourself and really learn about all these mistakes that you did not saying that you did many but i'm sure you did more than them and, and actually not do them again so let's focus on learning how to do new mistakes in that course and uh progress together so looking forward to the course in new york and thank you again for for joining us in this podcast thank you david thank you to carlos thank you to everyone that's behind the scenes and putting this amazing podcast and the Zaga Center itself. I really appreciate all of you do and I can't thank you enough. And I look forward to seeing all of you in New York and further courses along the way and the mentorship program. Truly a pleasure. This podcast aims at providing education, knowledge and experience focusing on zygomatic implant rehabilitation. Learn more about the treatment procedure, its impact on each patient and get to know the members of the Zaga Network.